This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Don't you remember how your brothers envied and hated you? Don't you remember how your brothers tried to kill you? Don't you remember how they stripped you out of that coat of many colors? Don't you remember how they hurled you into that waterless pit in the desert so that you could die a slow death of thirst there? Don't you remember how you cried to them? Don't you remember how they only brought you out so that they could sell you as a slave? And you know what Joseph would say? Joseph would say, no, I really can't remember. I really can't remember any of that. And then if you kind of pushed him more, he says, come on, come on, I'm going to jog your memory. You know what he would say? He would grab his son and he would say, Manasseh, Manasseh, Manasseh. That's what he would do. He would say, forgetting, forgetting, forgetting. I've really forgotten about all that. And when, so when Joseph named his son Manasseh, he's really making a deliberate decision in life. I'm going to go on. I'm going to forget the wrong that was done to me. And then, and then if you said, you know, oh, okay, all right, okay, we got it. Manasseh, we've seen your son, fine. Okay, now you've forgotten all the wrong that you did, but what do you remember? What do you remember? And that's when Joseph would, he, he would say, where's that little guy? The other little guy, so, hey, here he is, Ephraim. He would hold on and say, Ephraim, Ephraim, Ephraim. <laughs> Don't go away. <laughs> he, he would, God said, he would say, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So with the naming of the second son, fruitfulness or fruitful, Ephraim, Joseph has actually brought himself to a point of being thankful to his brothers for being responsible to send him into Egypt because if he had never gone to Egypt, he never would have been so Ephraim, he's so fruitful. And this is what Joseph told them when he finally comes face to face with them later on in the book in chapter 50, verse 20, Genesis 50, verse 20. It's, he speaks to them along these lines. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. See, rather than to focus 
on the evil that they meant against him, Joseph has made a deliberate decision to choose to focus on the good that God made to happen. He's later going to say to his brothers in chapter 45, or earlier actually, in chapter 45, verse 5, he says another time in Genesis 45, verse 5, he says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father of Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So Joseph resisted becoming bitter by seeing God's hand working through his brothers to the point where Joseph told his brothers, it wasn't even you that did it. It was God who did it. It was God who sent me here to Egypt. That's Joseph resisting his lower nature saying, get even hate, it feels good. Be bitter. Then he says no, and he's overcoming. Who is he that overcometh? He overcome the world. It's faith that overcomes. He has faith and he overcomes. Now, now that's Joseph. So Joseph has felt his has had his personal challenge against the temptation to become bitter, and he has now overcome it with his two little kids, Manasseh and Ephraim, and what they mean to him. Okay, now we come to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's dream in, in the next chapter, in, in chapter 41, verse 1. Pharaoh's dream, okay. And it came to pass at the end of two full, year, two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. So Pharaoh now sees himself by the river. The name of the river is not necessary because Egypt is a land of only one river, okay? That's the river Nile. The river Nile does not appear in the Bible, but, but, but the land of Egypt lives off the river Nile. Otherwise, Egypt would be nothing. But Egypt is a land of fruitfulness. It's a land of agriculture. It's a land of tremendous, tremendous production of crops. But Egypt is surrounded by deserts of death, by deserts of death. To the east is the Sinai Desert. To the west is the Sahara Desert, a massive desert covering huge amounts of land, uh, hundreds of square miles there in the in, in the North Africa. It's the Sahara Desert. To the south is the Kalahari Desert. And right in the middle of these deserts of death is Egypt. And it's got this tremendous agriculture. And that's only one reason, the river. The river that irrigates Egypt. The snow that falls in the highlands, the torrential rains that fall in both Ethiopia and Sudan, these run through into what's called the Blue Nile and the White Nile, and they run through and they converge together, and especially up there in the land, uh, northern part where all the Jews were uh, in Ethiopia and Gondar, as, they, as, this, as, as the water is flowing through there, and you look at the water, it's red. It's like a red water. Why? Because there's a fine suspension of red, rich soil that's being carried as it goes down there to Egypt to overflow. And when the water overflows, then the crops uh, do great. And if it doesn't overflow, the crops fail in Egypt. So for Pharaoh, the river was more than just a river. It represented the life of Egypt. It was the condition of Egypt. So when Pharaoh sees himself standing by the river, that's got Pharaoh's attention. 
He's in his dream. He's seeing himself standing by the river. And at first, Pharaoh sees, so that's the first shocking, behold, you know, he was standing there. But then the next thing, he sees cattle coming out of the river. That's shocking. Yeah, cattle don't live underwater. And, and they don't eat underwater either. But these cattle, are, are, they come up out of the river, and they're fat. And cattle are very important in Egypt. They were very important in Egypt. The bull was Egypt's idol, Egypt's symbol for the Nile, and they called that god, you know, Osiris, and, and, and they believed that, that he gave them agriculture. That's what they believed. The cow was Egypt's other idol, the other symbol there, Osiris, and, and believed that he gave the earth fertility, for agriculture. So Pharaoh is seeing his dream. He's seeing himself in the river and his country is totally dependent on this river. And out of it come his idols, his symbols for both agriculture and soil fertility. And they're coming right out. So to us, maybe this dream, of course, well, it means something, but it means much more to him because he, what he could see there in these symbols and, 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 and standing there by the river, he sees something about Egypt's survival through agriculture, you know, that's so important. I think I mentioned this to you before, but right now in Ethiopia, right now in Ethiopia, there's a tremendous amount of unrest. People all of a sudden have things they never had before, bombs, guns. Nobody knows how they got them. It's a big uprising. And, and we all, all, many believe that it's coming from Egypt because Ethiopia has made the conscious decision and they have spent billions of dollars to build the dam that's damming up the Nile, the headwaters of the Nile, because they want to sell electricity to all of Africa. And so what Egypt has said, if you touch any of that water, we'll go to war over it. That's just how important the Nile is to Egypt. So he's seeing this and he realizes that that, that this has something to do with Egypt's survival. And so he sees seven, cow, seven cattle that have come out of the river. They're fat. They're just grazing on the meadow. And then he sees seven cattle, which were, as it says, ill-favored. And, and according to verse 19 of this chapter, according to verse 19, Pharaoh said, I've never seen cattle that look so thin like that before. They were so terrible. I've never seen cattle that look so terrible like that. And then he sees how the thin cattle then come out of the river like the fat cattle did, and then he sees something fantastic, and that's that the thin cattle eat up the fat cattle. Now, not only do cattle not come out of water, now at this point, we can imagine he has this dream, and, he, and, he's, and he's wondering, what does it mean? And he's thinking to himself, you know, what did they serve me last night for dinner? It must have been that, you know, okay, it was just a suggestion or something like that. So, but, but he's startled enough to wake up out of sleep, and, and, and so he decides, he says, you know, at that point he decides, this, keep in mind, this is all happening in one light, night. So he says, you know what, I don't know what that meant. Let me just go back to sleep and forget about it. That just is a very bad dream. So in verse 5, now he says he dreams a second time. And you'll all notice that, that as you look through these, these, these first seven verses here in this chapter, you keep seeing this word, behold, behold. That's like shock. You know, that's like, that's like surprise, surprise, you know. And so... Because of this, because this is all very shocking, it's very surprising for Pharaoh. So in the second dream now, Pharaoh sees one stalk of corn growing, and it's producing seven fat ears of corn on it. And then he sees the same stalk, 
uh, of corn, and, and now the, the, it produces seven thin ears that are, to, that are withered because it's explained they were blasted with the east wind. Now, Pharaoh knew about this east wind. This east wind was just, it's terrible. It's there today. It's the, it, it's, it's the wind that, that, that comes off the Sahara. It's hot. It's dusty. And, it, and, and it's the most feared wind in Egypt, because it has this crop-destroying power, it not only destroys crops, it will dry wood out and destroy wood. It's called, it's called the Kasman today. And it travels up through Africa from the southeast, and as it goes over the Sahara Desert, it's like a blast furnace, it picks up tremendous heat, tremendous force, and it carries with it this, this dust. I remember one time when I was flying from London to Ethiopia, to our place there, and just crossing over the Mediterranean, into North Africa and over the Sahara and into going to Ethiopia. And I was looking down from the plane and I couldn't see land. And I thought, well, what is that? Maybe it's a storm clouds or something like that. Everything was brown. And then, and then it was explained to me, that's the wind. That's the wind. That's the east wind. And so that east wind, it goes right into Ethiopia. It's got so much dust, it destroys the crops there as well. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm wearing glasses today, because for nearly 50 years, I wore contact lenses. But on that day, when I got there to Ethiopia, and that wind was coming through, and the dust was just terrible, it was everywhere, and I did this. And that was the end of contacts for me, because I, I badly scratched my retinas. But anyway... Uh, Pharaoh didn't have that problem, but but he sees these thin corn, thin ears of corn that have come up, and they eat up the fat ones. And so this is shocking for him again. You know, corn doesn't eat corn, but this is a, this is way too much. This is over the top. So he's dreamed the second dream. It's like the first dream. It's so similar, and now he's convinced there's something very important by way of a message that he needs to know from these dreams. And this has all happened in one night. So when Pharaoh has these two dreams in this one night, where Pharaoh's seeing himself in both of the dreams, and they're so real to him that in verse 7, when he wakes up, he doesn't know it was a dream. He thinks this is really reality. I'm there. In fact, it's, it's surprising to him in verse 7 when it says, and Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. He th that's how it was so IMAX, so 3D, so, so, so captivating for him. He was there. He was there. That means when he woke up, he didn't know. He didn't know. So Pharaoh's surprised, and he says, behold, it was a dream. <clears throat> but he was so engaged, and he was so alarmed when he woke up that the dreams that all he could think about in verse 8, and it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. So these dreams had troubled his spirit. What was troubling to him? What was troubling to Pharaoh? It was the similarity between the two dreams. That was uncanny. It really bothered him. In both the dreams, he saw himself. In both the dreams, the number seven is prominent. In both the dreams, the good comes first and then the bad. And in both the dreams, the bad devours the good. You know, this is not, you know, it wasn't a sweet, it wasn't a Pharaoh and Egypt lived happily ever after dreams. This was something very, very alarming. And so, and so, so, so Pharaoh realizes there's a definite warning in this dreams about something that's coming. And I've got to do something, but I don't know what's coming, and I don't know what I've got to do. And this is what troubled Pharaoh's spirit. So he knows the dreams are warnings. He knows that he's got to take action. He just doesn't know what the warning is. He doesn't know what action he's got to take. So we read what he did, which is in verse 8, when it says, And he sent 
and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. So here they all come. Oh, boy. All the Egyptians of Egypt. I don't know. Maybe they were having an Egyptian conference on magicians that week, and they were all there. I don't know. But anyway, here they're all there. They're coming in, and all the wise men. Who are these people? Who are these magicians? Who are they? You know, do you remember where else in the Bible that we have these magicians and these wise men that we saw, that, that we've seen in other places? It's Moses, right? Moses encountered them in Exodus, in Exodus 7, verse 10. You know, that was when Moses was uh, uh, a little cautious about the idea about going and presenting himself to Pharaoh and said, would you please just let go three million people if you don't mind? But, uh, you know, we'll leave, we'll leave, we won't make a mess when we leave. No, he, 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 and so God said to him, God said to him, uh, he said to God, they're not going to believe me. He's not going to believe me. Pharaoh's not going to believe me. So God said to him, you take the rod, you throw it down, it'll become a snake. He'll believe you. Okay, so Moses, it says in, in Exodus 7, verse 10, Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. You ask, why is Aaron involved? That's another story. I mean, that was an argument that Moses had where he told God that, I know you made the mouth, but you didn't know what you were doing with me because I can't speak. And so then and God gets irritated, and he says, oh, really? Okay, well, I'll give you someone who can speak. He's your brother. He'll also make a golden calf and be a real pain in your neck, but that's all right. You got him. So anyway, so he, he's the one who throws the rod down. He becomes a serpent. Then it says, it says in Exodus 7, verse 11, Exodus 7, verse 11, then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers. Now the Egyptian, now the magicians of Egypt they also did in like manner with their enchantments. And they cast down every man his rod and the rods. Quite a drama. But what's interesting about that passage in Exodus 7 is that it uses the word enchantment. They came with their enchantment. Enchantment in the Hebrew comes from a root word that means or a flash of fire. And the magicians in Egypt, they used these impressive enchantments. And so Egypt was a center for the use of these magical methods of enchantments. You know, magicians in Egypt was very refined. They were, they were schooled in the magical methods of enchantments. Egypt had refined these methods of demonic magic. They had, they had, they had, they had, they had refined these methods to get aligned with the demons of hell and they had categories of magic, and magicians specialized in different fields of magic like a doctor would specialize in different fields of medicine. And there was a field of defensive magic that would be used in protection against your enemies. And then there was the field of voodoo or black magic that would be used as an offense against your enemies. And then there was the field of fortune-telling magic magic or, or telling the future. And then there was the field of wonder-working magic just to impress. I suppose those are the ones they called for turning the, the rods into snakes. But that, that was Egypt. Egypt was the center for magic. And these magicians aligned themselves with demonic forces. They aligned themselves with the powers of darkness to do what was not possible to do and what could not be explained. That's what they did. That's why Jewish mysticism, known as Kabbalah, came out of Egypt. It came out of Egypt. 
Kabbalah teaches, among other things, that there are hidden messages in the Bible that are, that are centered in numbers. It's called numerology. This all comes from Egypt. This is all Kabbalah. It's the land of mysticism and magic. <clears throat> you gotta see, you gotta see, oh, that number, well, that letter there, that has that number. This one has that number. When you divide this one by that one and add that, you, whoa, it's magic, okay? That's Kabbalah. So Pharaoh has called for all of them, and here they all come in. They've got bright clothing. They're wearing all sorts of symbols. They've got herbs because they like to cut herbs to do their magic, to fill the air with these odors. That, that helps them to get the demonic spirits to work with them. They've got magic dust. They've got magic rods. They've got magic charms. They've got music. They've got fire. And each magician now, he goes through his specific methods to call the demons to help them, help them to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Now, those magicians uh, don't think that those magicians were all fake and phony and they couldn't do stuff because they, they, they had had success in working in Egypt. Don't forget that it, as we just were reading here in Exodus, they did make their rods turn into snakes. Yes, they did. And also when Moses did the plague, when the plague of the water being turned to blood, they also did that in Exodus 7.21. Exodus 7.21, it says the fish that was in the river died when Moses turned the water into blood. And the river stank. And by the way, if you're not familiar with that, you come for the Passover, and we'll be talking about that. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. They also turned water into blood. And not only the water, but they turned frogs. It says in Exodus 8, Exodus 8 7, Exodus chapter 8, verse 7. The magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So they were doing everything that, 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 that Moses could do, except they ran into a roadblock when it came to the lice. I don't know, somehow they couldn't get the right magicians, the right demons, whatever. But anyways, in chapters, in Exodus 8.18, Exodus 8.18, it says the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So, so anyway, so, so that was just one, okay, never mind. So the magicians were the group and they, they were brought in by Pharaoh. Now, there's a second, so can you picture this thing? I mean, this is just really something going on with all this, like it's like a circus of all these magicians doing all these things. And he brings in a second group that's assembled there for Pharaoh. They're called the wise men. These are the wise men. These are the philosophers in Egypt, and they're the men who are known for possessing all kinds of hidden knowledge, you know, all kinds of secrets. So there's this large group of, of magicians, and they're doing all their specialties and fire, and everything's happening. Oh, there's a lot of action, a lot of drama, and then there's some the magicians over there, and they're going. They kind of think way through this. See, okay, so everyone now is gathered together, now the magicians and the wise men, and they're all there, and they're carefully listening to Pharaoh's dream. And then they all go. They here's the dream. They all go into action. Like I said, they're kind of like the the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel during Elijah's time when he when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, bring down fire on the offer, offering fire from Baal. And it says there in 1 Kings 18, 26, 1 Kings 18, 26, they took the bullock which was given them, they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, oh, Baal, hear us, but there's no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which they made. A few verses down in 1 Kings 
1828, 1 Kings 1828, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. I mean, we can imagine something similar going on here with these Egyptians and these wise men as they're listening to Pharaoh's dreams and they're trying and they're swinging into action and the magicians are making the fire blaze, the smoke is rising, the magic dust is flying, the charms are going, the music is playing, the dances are going, they're cutting these herbs and they have all these magic potions and then, as I said, and the, and the wise men are thinking real hard over there. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.